0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. If you are caring for a person with autism, great information from a trusted source can be a lifeline. We hope today's conversation will help you create success for the extraordinary individual with autism in your life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host Rob Haupt. I'm the Vice President here at Autism Spectrum Therapy, an agency providing uh, services to kids with autism and adults with autism and really anyone with autism uh, across the country. Um, I myself am an ABA guy. I have spent the last 13 years uh, providing ABA services to individuals with autism and other developmental disabilities. And I'm also a board-certified behavior analyst. Um, you know, the, the thing that has really been taking up a lot of my, my, I guess, creative energy when it comes to services and, and looking at, at the way we do things uh, lately has been this idea of comprehensive care. And, and what I mean by that is not necessarily being in these silos. You know, we, we talk about collaboration all the time on the show, and we have so many different great guests talking about, you know, we bring providers together and we're, we're setting up a forum or, or really a, a place where providers can speak freely and collaborate with one another because if we can get all these point of views together, it's going to lead to better treatment. And I've been thinking a lot about that, and I have a, I have a really good friend, who has been in the field of ABA for about, I don't know, about 20, 25 years, and she's just, she's incredible, and she has this great sense of how services should be provided. She's been in 10 different states providing ABA as her life has kind of taken her down lots of different paths, and I, I keep thinking about something she's told me a while back, just the idea of our approach the 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 way autism is moving you know it 's not enough to say well i'm an ABA person, and that 's it it 's not enough to say i'm an ot person, and that 's it we 've got to as practitioners get ourselves to be more joined more more connected with one another because it is so hard it is so complicated to figure out what 's the right approach for for a child, particularly as a parent and you think about just how things are coming together and, and how we don't understand autism, it almost makes it harder for us to make arguments to politicians, to legislatures, to insurance companies, to school districts, to whomever, when all of the different service practitioners are, are so disjointed. You know, and, and I know I've talked on the show before about the idea of sometimes people in the ABA world can be a little disjointed or or in opposition with one another's viewpoints and philosophies. And and those are some of the things that hold us back. You know, it's great for us to disagree and discuss and uh, challenge one another in terms of best practices. Uh, By no means do I think that's something we should stop, but but so often we live in our own little vacuums, and we need to start thinking more and more about delivering services together. you know, whether it be by having better relationships, better connections, and, and probably more trust with one another rather than so much of the, you know, this is my territory versus your territory. You know, sometimes we spend so much time saying this domain is mine to work on that we don't always recognize that, hey, there's a maybe six different people here, and we could all be working on this domain of um, maybe language but maybe we each tackle it in a slightly different way, but in a very coordinated way. And I think sometimes that we, we prefer to live in these silos, but the future of the therapy, the future, the future of support we're going to give children as well as, as families is going to be through this more comprehensive, um, coordinated approach. And I'm hoping that we can spend a lot more time over the next few years really Developing this and really carving this out to be uh, more of a, a way we look at things uh, as a as the norm rather than a, a one-off basis. Um, well, with that, we're going to talk to one of those collaborators and and I guess uh, one of those uh, disciplines that sometimes gets stuck in a vacuum, um, but with someone today who. I know does a great job of actually breaking down barriers and being part of uh, collaborative and and comprehensive approaches. So today I'm really excited to be joined by um, Odelia uh, Mirzada, uh, the Clinical Director at Innovative Speech and Language Pathology. Um, Odelia is a local speech pathologist here um, in my neck of the woods in uh, in Southern California, and uh, I'm really excited to talk to her today about... Uh, just speech, because it's not something we have talk about in a while. Um, she's a licensed speech and language pathologist who began her career working in an early intervention program at Cal State University Northridge. Uh, she completed her internship at Santa Monica and uh, Malibu School Districts, um, as well as externships at Cedar Sinai Medical Center. She's also uh, worked with the Bedley Hill School District, Northridge Hospital, the Health Group, as well as uh, the UCLA Lab School. Um, in her practice, Fidelia works for children and adults to evaluate and treat autism spectrum disorders, cleft palate, and cranial facial anomalies, auditory processing disorder, oral motor speech disorders, voice disorders, apraxia of speech, stuttering, fluency, uh, voice disorders, social communication disorders, excessive and receptive language disorders, delays, speech disorders, distortion, memory and listening skill difficulties, as well as reading and writing, deficits. I feel like that was a mouthful for me, and I almost need to go to you <laughs> for, for therapy after reading all of that. But, Andrea, <laughs> welcome to the show. I am so
2: happy to have you here. Thank you. It's nice to be on your show as well. Thank you.
1: You know, we haven't really uh, gotten to talk to a lot of speech pathologists, uh, especially over the last year. And so what I was really hoping to be able to do is take some time, almost take a step back for our audience. You know, we have so many different parents who uh, are parents of kids with autism on listening and who and tune in. And I was hoping to maybe start with more of a, a general perspective and really just ask about, you know, why, why is it important? If we, you know, you work with so many kids with autism. Why is speech pathology or speech therapy uh, a critical piece of the intervention package um, for kids with autism?
2: Absolutely. Um, well, you know, I always say for everyone, everybody struggles to get their needs met to communicate and I think where as, as a whole, the population fails um, and you can see this in you know across the board in any type of relationship, whether it's teacher student, whether it's um, you know relationship as far as spouses goes or friendship goes or any other relationship goes when two people cannot communicate and cannot understand each other not only Are they not getting their own needs met? But they're also not meeting what's expected of them. Therefore, a lot of frustrations and miscommunications come up. Now, in a case of a child who also has limitations um, in even understanding, comprehending the messages that are given to them or being able to communicate what's going on in their body, if, you know, in a case of a child who has autism, let's say they're being – They're being overloaded by sensory input. Maybe a noise is too loud, and for them in their body, it's actually hurting them. If they're not able to say, Mommy, that hurts, turn it down, they may end up going in a corner, they may scream, they may hit, they may start crying, they may hold their ears ears shut, and so forth, where they start having behaviors because they don't know how to communicate their needs. In any other way other than basically acting it out or showing it the mm-hmm. same goes with if you know mom says go get your shoes we're about to leave or you know it's time to go to sleep if they're not understanding what is expected of them again they will constantly fall short of the of meeting those expectations and so the vicious cycle just keeps um, continuing mm-hmm. now with speech and language therapy and the piece that falls into that we specialize in communication and communication skills, building those, finding a way where we can basically touch any person's needs, finding what, unlocking that lock, where they're not able to get past a certain point, and giving them, giving them the tools they need, so they can communicate and they can understand and function um, in a social. Uh, pragmatic social aspects, social communication um, social setting, um, and that's basically what a role of a speech and language pathologist is to help children who have autism, individuals with autism, communicate their needs, understand what's going on, being able to function better um, in their environment as a whole
1: mm. you know, there's so many different people who end up you know working with kids with autism you know I, I think about mm-hmm. there's ADA people like me, there's OTs, there's SLPs, there's, you know, when you get into the school, there's special education teachers. And I feel like one of the things that sometimes gets confusing for parents and even for professionals is that, well, you know, I, as an ADA person, I work on communication, I work on language. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the difference? You know, what, why, how does an SLP maybe tackle it or approach it a little bit differently um, or or is it dramatically different? I, I, you know, sometimes there's that uncertainty of, you know, how do these roles or these people differ in their approach?
2: Of course. Um, what I can say, the, the analogy that I can use that would help best describe the differences is, you know, when a doctor graduates from medical school, they, become, they have obviously undertaken all the courses in all the different fields. They perhaps have even done rotations in different, you know, uh, aspects of medicine. Maybe they've done surgery. Maybe they've done ophthalmology and you know, so forth. However, they end up specializing in one category that they're, it's of their interest. And that becomes their specialty or a teacher a teacher obviously learns about everything they need to know everyone takes their you know GRE course thing and so mm-hmm. forth you're supposed to know about mathematics you're supposed to know about English about history but yet at the end of the day they end up specializing in something again that interests them and that becomes their their strength the same goes for therapists all of us have learned the entire mechanism of a human body, how we uh, function, what we're supposed to do, but yet we also have sub-specialized in the areas that best interest us. And with that, we focus on those areas, so we have our specialty in those areas. And ABA absolutely can work and enhance what a speech therapist does or what an occupational therapist does. And as a speech therapist, I can tell you I utilize a lot of tools. I, just, I do a lot of sensory integration in my work that, that is a part of an OT job, you know, an OT specialist. With my kids, when I see they're struggling and they're being overloaded, I have learned to pick up a few tools from my colleague, OTs, and utilize those in my sessions so I can help that child you know, reach the goal that I'm working on. Yet, OT is not my specialty. So, yes, we can always yeah. know a little bit about each area, and we can utilize those in our sessions, yet those are not our our specific specialty. And it, it, to, to say, oh, you don't need an OT, I'll do what I, you know, I know a little bit about it, is doing that child an injustice, because that child yeah. does need someone who has that specialty. Or to say, oh, you don't need an ABA, we do everything here. Well, it's incorrect because an ABA follows that child for, multiple, you know, long hours, extended hours um, in a day and really instills those um, areas of, of that they're focusing on. Whereas with a speech therapist or physical therapist, you see them for a short span of time within a day or within a week, and then they're set home. So all of us, I believe if I were to give a message to any of our parents, what I would strongly recommend is to be with a team that all the professionals whether they work in the same network or whether they're from different companies for everyone to communicate because that way we're not only doing our own part but rather we are being holistic and we can do a better job as a whole and as a team for that child so if, as a speech therapist i called his OT and said what is, you know, if I, if he struggles with A, B, and C, how do you get him to regulate? That way I can regulate him in my session so he can actually mm-hmm. um, pay more attention. If I call the A, B, and say, what is it that you need me to work on? Or what is it that, you you know, um, this is the area that he's lacking the most in. Can you please incorporate those in your session? Or his PT, mm-hmm. do you need me to have him sitting in a certain position? So, you know, I... And thus far, so if all of us communicate, we can incorporate each other's goals in our own sessions as best as we can, and we're actually working with the whole child as opposed to different pieces in that one part.
1: You know, when you we're describing the differences, you know, the, the subtleties, uh, you know, for some reason the, the analogy that came into my head was almost like, um, was like someone who's sculpting, uh, you know, sculpting with clay. <laughs> You know, there's a part of the sculpting where maybe you're using your hands to get, like, a general form or a general framework, and then mm-hmm. there's a part of sculpting where you – I remember being in art class. I have this weird memory of being in art <laughs> class, and we had these very specific tools, you know, these, like, yeah. wired tools that would kind of – would be really for the the fine-tuning – so there's that like the broader sculpting and then that like really detailed specific sculpting. And for some reason, like that was what I was kind of envisioning listening to your description. It's like, yeah, we're all probably like if we were thinking about someone's language, maybe all of our hands, whether it be an OT, a speech pathologist, an ABA person, like all of our hands get involved in that sculpture. But maybe right. the SLP is the one with that really nice tool to do those little details and those, those really fine um, elements to the sculpture, and no different than <laughs> any, any other discipline. Maybe we're talking about sensory. I mean, that's where the OT has got the tool, and we are, you know, now the SLP is using their hands. Like that's kind of what I envisioned in your description.
2: Absolutely, and I love um, the, the analogy that you gave because you just nailed it. It's absolutely true. Each of us are those special tools that. Um, fine-tune that sculpture.
1: Absolutely. I love that analogy. Very well done. (laughs) Thank you. Well, you know, this is the great thing. It's like you get a good description, you get a good image, and then you can relay, you know, what you see in your head. Um, You know, you talked about collaboration, and and I wanted to get to that. So, you know, why don't we go there now? I know you worked on a lot of different interdisciplinary teams. I mean, just going through your resume, programs like UCLA, the help group, you know, that's one of the things they specialize in is, you know, this multidisciplinary, people from different points of view. Um, you know, you talked about the importance of it. You know, one of the things I think people oftentimes communicate is that they, it's something they want, but it's something they struggle to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, from, uh, you know, maybe from a professional's point of view, giving advice to a parent, Um, Are there things that you've seen that have worked in terms of um, either, you know, setting up that type of environment or facilitating that type of kind of teamwork within a team? Is there something a parent can do to help that? Or does it really fall on us as professionals to strive for it and act a certain way?
2: Um, Well, that was a great question you asked. Um, And that's, to be honest, an area that... I've struggled with as a clinician myself. Um, I think, to be very honest with you and very candid, I do believe it's more of our, the professional job to help the parents guide them through because oftentimes parents don't even know what they don't even know, so they can't even inquire mm-hmm. about what they don't know. Um, but sure. as, as professionals, you know, this is what we do and it's really our duty to help our parents and say, listen, I'm working on this area, but your child could really benefit from A, B, and C, maybe. And then I think, you know, if we have, obviously, a team, colleagues, um, if we know, and that's why it's so important as professionals for us to build to build a team, a great team, a strong team that helps that child succeed in every area. Now, not every... Therapist or every professional has the uh, luxury of having an entire center where all the disciplines are under one umbrella and one roof. But all of mm-hmm. us are capable of reaching out to each other and finding that great team and work together so we can make the appropriate referrals. So, yes, I'm not an OT, but, hey, I know this wonderful OT. Maybe you can get um, their opinion, opinion. Maybe you can get an assessment done. The OT, oh, you know, I know this wonderful PT. I know this wonderful ABA, this great psychologist. And I think that's where our role comes in, and it's a very important, maybe even more so than our... Therapy sessions with the child, because when we get a strong team together to help that child in every aspect, um, then we're completing that puzzle as opposed to just focusing on one piece and figuring out where that one piece will will land. So, um, you know, and as parents, what I always encourage my families to do is to ask to really ask questions. Ask questions of their professionals, ask questions from their teachers, from their pediatricians, from just ask, is there anything more I can do that, you know, is my child meeting all their developmental milestones? Is there anything that's off? Is there anything that I need to look at more? And um, just to take it a little further, although this isn't going exactly based on your question, but a lot of times parents tend to wait And they say, oh, my child will grow out of it. Oh, this will happen. Oh, it's okay. I understand him and it's fine. And he's only a child, he's only two, he's only three. You know, he will catch up. Although that may be true, um, I'd like to advise parents and just put in in a little piece of uh, my advice and my recommendation being, yes, your child may catch up, but look at all the difficulties your child is going through in the meantime functioning in a social environment or in his own environment That even with you guys as your as a parent if they want something they should be able to communicate it with you they shouldn't have to whine they shouldn't have to nudge they shouldn't have to cry they shouldn't struggle so as a mm-hmm. parent I would say, wouldn't you want to reduce the struggle for your child? And you're only giving them tools that are helpful. It's not going to hurt them in any way. Why not give them those tools early on to help them? So it's sort of saying, you know, you're going to give your children good food to eat and drink. You're not going to... Pump them up with junk food ever since they're, you know, they're a newborn or they're an infant or a toddler. Why not give them the tools necessary to reduce their struggle, ensure the, their success, and strengthen their progress and give them that confidence they need? So again, that goes, you know, hand in hand, and I believe that would be a part of a pediatrician's job to yeah. give that confidence to the parents. Again, it, goes, it falls back, a lot of it, on the professionals to really do their job and do, do, do their due diligence to help their families and their children
1: succeed. Well, you know, I want to go into more. You know, I, I actually think it's great you're going in this direction because I wanted to talk to you a lot about this. And, um, but let's do this first. Let's take a quick commercial break, play some ads, give us a, a chance to catch our breath. Uh, And then we'll be right back, and we'll talk a little bit more about some of these early warning symptoms and some of the things that we should maybe be looking for and some steps we should take. Uh, So we'll be right back after this.
0: Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. At AST, we recognize that every child is unique. We are proud to offer what we believe is the most cohesive approach to supporting your child's needs and goals at each stage. From ABA to speech therapy, occupational therapy, and social skills, we have the elements you need to build the plan that is just right for you. One company, one team, with one mission. To support individuals and their families to dream and achieve their full potential. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-727-8274. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host or today's guest, please send an email to more info at autismtherapies.com. That's more info at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program.
1: Hey, welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. Uh, took a little commercial break, but we're back with Adalia. Um You said something right before the break, and I really just want to jump back into it. And you know, the I I want to. I'm thinking a little bit broader than autism at the moment. But you you mentioned pediatricians, and you know, I agree with you. I think sometimes pediatricians, for a variety of reasons, maybe don't point things out, or maybe they say that kids will outgrow something. And I feel like I I have a lot of friends, um, a lot of friends of the family who are all having now young kids, you know, and they're all at that two, three, four age range. And I'm constantly being asked, you know, hey, take a look at so-and-so. They don't seem like they talk very much to me. Or take a look at this kid. They have this behavior that seems off. I feel like I get that all the time at pretty much every family function or any, like, friend function I go to now. And I was kind of curious, you know, it, it feels like so much of, what I see and what people communicate is that oftentimes it's friends pointing out some of the delays um, to a parent. You know, it's it's the, su- the sister, the cousin, the best friend saying, you know, I'm noticing some delays. This is something that's worrying me. Maybe we should look for that. Prior to even the autism, you know, are there specific speech delays? You mentioned nudging. You mentioned hugging. But one of the things I've heard a lot of lately from from my friends who are concerned is the child seems happy, they just don't talk. Is that mm-hmm. something to be worried about or is there other things that parents should really be concerned about?
2: Um, that is definitely something that could be a red flag. So just like how, you know, at a certain point uh, children start walking, start crawling, uh, it's also the same thing with their speech. So if a child, by the time they are two years old, are not using purposeful words, then there's absolutely something um, wrong there, and that's a red flag. By about, and if, if it's okay, I can even go through, um, you know, just a little chart of what parents yeah. look for. So yeah, for be great. you know a child, so. Before a child is 12 months, they should be cooing and babbling. So the cooing is where they're just making any sounds and it's more vowels, ah, ooh, ah, And the babbling is where they have their consonants reduplicating, like, ba, 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 ma, 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 and that's where they start. Moms usually think, oh, you sing Dada before Mama. Well, a lot of times it's not even purposeful. At that point, they're just babbling and they're exploring. I'd like to emphasize the the word exploring the the sounds they can make because later they're going to shape the real words. So, again, this is all before 12 months. They're cooing and babbling. Around nine months, they begin to string sounds together. Um, Again, that's where the Mama Dada comes in, and it's not really, you know, they don't understand what it really means. They just hear it a lot because mommy is getting to their face and go, mama, can you say mama? So they hear it and they're just repeating it. Um, And they're very attentive to um, sounds. They start recognizing common names, common objects. So they're starting to become very, very, very alert and aware of everything. And they start, they're just around nine months starting to put word uh, word to symbol meaning. Around 12 to 15 months, um, they start developing a wide range of speech sounds in their babbling, so uh, this is what we call the bilabials, which is the P, B, and M, like papa, bottle, you know, they can say baba for bottle, and then they have the M for mama. Um, they also do. They they start bringing in their Ds like dada and nana, the ends as well. They start imitating and modeling family members, so this is where um, if you go hi choo, they try to do I choo. So they're they're not only uh, modeling gestures, but they also start modeling the sounds they hear. Um, they start saying, um, they start having their one to two words, um, and this this now is purposeful. So if they say mama and dada, they are actually meaning mama and dada. If they say baba, they may mean they may mean bottle. Um, if they say ball or ball, that's you know, this is where they start having their true words coming in spontaneously. Um, and the first things that they start having are usually nouns that, um, that 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 come in. And they're able to, at this stage, follow simple directions like um, get the ball or come to mama or, you know, shoes on. So this is where they start understanding and following single command. So if you tell your child, go get your ball, they're able to go to, the, you know, they, they're able to crawl or walk to the other room and get their ball. Between 18 months to 24 months, this is the part where you see um, the biggest burst of their development. They start having at least 20 words by about 18 months. So, and this is single words, and it doesn't have to be. I for instance, I get, I get this asked a lot. If a child points to a balloon and they say ba, and if they point to a ball and they say ba, and if they point to, a, to their bottle and they say ba, so they're using ba for all three items. But, mm-hmm. for example, even if you say where is the balloon, they point to balloon and go ba, that's considered three different words because they actually are associating ba with three different words. They're able to identify it, and they're able to expressively label it. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's something that I want parents to be aware of, that if they they just say ba, yes, well, they say ba for balloon, they say ba for ball, and they say ba for their bottle, and they mean it. Because if you say, where is it, they're able to look for it, and they're Mm -hmm. able to label it. So by by 18 months, they have about at least 20 words. Um, by the time they turn 24 months or two years old, they should have 50 or more true words. Um, and by the, age of, by the age of two years old, this is actually where they start combining two words, like cargo, dad, dad, uh, home. And this is where they start. And this is just really the noun and the verb that they're sticking to. So they, there is no, um, it's, not a very com- there, it's not a very complex sentence. It's very yeah. concrete cargo, mama up. It's very, very concrete of what they're doing, but they should be combining two words by the, by, by 24 months. Um, oh. And this is where, obviously, they start pointing to their body parts. They start identifying common objects, common people, family members. This is, you know, if you say, where is um, the chair? This is where they start showing it. Um, and then between the ages of two and three years old, this is where... Uh, they have the most complex and huge gains as far as the complexity of their speech goes. So vocabulary just bursts through the roof. They should have too many words for you to be able to count. They're starting to string their words together into sentences. This is where they have more of an, I'd like to say, adult conversation or adult um sentence-like structure that they have. They should know about their prepositions, car in, um, put on top. They know their colors, their shapes. They start learning about the descriptives, like, oh, where's the little car? Where's the big couch? and so forth. So this is just a little quick, um, you know, from, from birth till about three years, this, this is something for parents to be able to refer to. Obviously, there's a lot more detail and we can always sure. go into that later, but by the time, if their child is not really two years old, by the time they're two years old, if they're not really saying any words at all and they're not having purposeful communication, then there's something that, you know, that's, that's a red flag. Another thing is eye contact. Um, children from birth this is when you know they're, they're an infant this is where you get in their face and you do the peek-a-boo and um, you start making silly faces and they start bursting into laughter that eye contact should only get stronger it should not fade away when they're addressed when you call their name when they're talking to you um, they should maintain at the very minimum 50 to 60 percent of eye contact um, because Believe it or not, most of our language learning comes from our eye contact, being able to see each other's faces, reading those social cues,
0: which later mm-hmm. becomes
2: so important and uh, important in your um, pragmatic, social pragmatic uh, appropriateness. You know, if someone mm-hmm. is frowning, for you to know they're sad. If someone is um, If they look angry, all those social cues they learn by watching someone's face. And believe it or not, another big aspect is children learn how to produce their sounds correctly by also watching your face, watching your lips move. Um, So there's a lot that they would be missing if their, their eye contact is poor, and that's another red flag that parents can
1: look for. I'm just curious, you know, and I haven't heard this before, but it's something that just I've observed and, and came up in a, in a informal conversation lately with a friend. You know, is affect, is, is, the, is the affect of the child in how they speak ever a, a concern or an issue? Thinking particularly about individuals or kids who have a very flat affect in how they communicate. They speak, uh, the words they say are appropriate um, and, and are, are well stated, but there's just not that... Um, inflection or any changes um, in in the way they say words. It's just that flat statement across the board.
2: Absolutely, and that's another red flag, another thing for parents Mm -hmm. to look for. Um, As human beings, we're all very dynamic. We get angry. Our voice tends to, you know, our intonation rises. We get louder. Um, We get more intense. As we're happy, our voices get very light, and as we're sad, it gets very low. So all the facial affect um, is, as human beings, we're very, very dynamic, and that's how we express emotions. When you ask a question, you know, your intonation rises. How are you today? Um, when you answer, your intonation lowers. I'm saying, well, thank you. How are you? you know, and obviously ended it with a question, but um, so those things are also very important. uh, Cues, again, social cues of knowing, understanding, and that goes with the comprehension of how someone is talking to you, how someone is addressing you, being able to tell if um, you're in a safe environment or not, depending on what's going on based on, you know, uh, vocal tonalities, and as well as for you, if you're not able to communicate appropriately using appropriate intonation and affect, then you're not getting your, um, what you mean uh, across appropriately and, uh, and um, accurately. So that's definitely, if a child has a flat affect, then there is a lot that they're also not. Um, connecting in their brain and if they're not able to replicate that then yes that's another red flag um, because they should be able to show you when they're happy they should be able to show you when they're sad other than just using a very um, what has come to be termed as a robotic voice you know that yeah. intonational pattern should really be be there, um, and just a little insert something that can help with a child who has flat, a flat affect and um, a very rigid intonation pattern. Music therapy is really wonderful for that because it gets mm-hmm. them to um, explore that sound, explore the vibrations, explore going up and going down, and saying it loud and saying it soft and it's done in a very fun way for children and as well it is incorporating the other side of the brain so it's not just left brain but now it's right brain and it's it's a wonderful tool to help children but it, going back to your question again absolutely the affect the intonation that all is, plays a very important factor in our communication as well and that's a respect for parents to also be aware
1: of got it. No. One one more question I have for you because I, we're, we are coming kind of towards the end of the show. Um, but one yeah. of the things that you know, you, I want to kind of backtrack, you yeah. mentioned before the idea of red flags and, and a parent um, who sees something not feeling scared or, or that, like, coming to see uh, you, for example, <laughs> would be a, a negative thing because, like you said, and I totally agree with you, you know, anything you work on is going to be good. Regardless of the diagnosis, going to see a speech Mm -hmm. therapist can be a really great thing for any kid. It's almost like extra learning from from a certain point of view. Um, So with that said, um, do you find that a lot of kids come to you, maybe there is a concern of there is a language delay, you start working with them, things work out, and maybe it's not necessarily a Full-blown. Okay, this child should see a psychologist, get evaluated for autism. There's these greater issues. Like, are there a good percentage of kids who come to you where there's a concern about their language, but but it's just that. Hey, this is just a language delay. Let's work on this and help this kid catch up. They're still um, doing well in other areas, um, or is it primarily uh, it, it's someone who maybe moves into that other direction of, of a more um, serious diagnosis, such as autism?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I do obviously see a combination. So there are children that come and they are just delayed, um, and mm-hmm. with, with the extra help they will catch up. But at the same time, there are those children that come and initially they're thought to be delayed. That's why they are referred to speech therapy or the, yeah. why parents are concerned to begin with, and they come in and clearly as a professional, I think, okay, there is more that's going on other than just him being delayed Um, and yes at that point we definitely want to refer them to the appropriate um, professional a psychologist who can do the diagnosis now a conversation I oftentimes have with my parents after I say you know I would recommend taking him to either a developmental pediatrician or a uh, psychologist so that they can do further testing to see if there's anything else going on or not a lot of times, obviously, parents don't want to hear the word autism, and that's a breakdown yeah. factor for them. Yeah. The conversation I have with my parents, either before they go to the psychologist or if they have gone and they come back and it's confirmed that a child has autism, is I tell them it doesn't matter for the purposes of what... Um, what your child needs to get, <clears throat> excuse me, it doesn't matter. The diagnosis doesn't matter. What we should focus on is what your child is able to do so their strength and what are their limitations? What are they not able to do? Where do we want to get them and how can we help help them get there? It's sort of like if you want to go... To let's say Santa Barbara um, from here or if you want to go to let's say somewhere a little further uh, where you have the option of either driving or flying you just know that you want to get to this place it doesn't matter what vehicle you use to get there it matters Mm -hmm. that you get there and so and it's obviously the intensity of the therapy sessions how many times a week they do it is how fast you want to get there how quickly you want to have that progress versus how slowly So it's important to get the diagnoses. Why? Because then their child is able to get the appropriate services that they need. They're able to get more if they have an appropriate diagnosis. They're able to get their ABA. They're able to get their OT. They're able to get their speech. They're able to get et cetera services in the school system. They're able to get that extra help. So that's why it's important to have that diagnosis, not because we want to label the child, not because we want to limit them, but rather because we want to know how can we help them and how can we empower them more. But other than, you know, having that that diagnosis so that we can get them the appropriate help, other than that, really, it, it doesn't matter what the label is. Let's just say it matters that we all are here to help that child to succeed and to ensure their progress. And, you know, having that, that diagnosis done by a psychologist helps getting that important team together so we can all work yeah. together from there on. And that's that's where the importance of that comes
1: in. Makes perfect sense. Well, you know, we're, we're out of time, but thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. I mean, it was so great sure. to have your perspective. And uh, and for me, it's it's always good to... Just talk to people from other disciplines. I feel like, you know, I, I, I definitely don't know as much about, you know, the, the approach of the speech pathologist. So any time I get to talk to someone like you, it's always a, a great educational opportunity for me uh, to get a better sense of kind of what you guys do, because it then helps me be a better team member. Um, kind of as you're saying, it, it kind of falls on us to be a good collaborative team, and I, I find that learning about what the way you see the world and the way you guys are things helps me do that. So uh, I appreciate it.
2: Of course. And thank you for having me um, be a part of your show. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Um, and again, thank you.
1: Thanks. And, you know, before you take off, um, if to any listeners out there, whether they're in the, uh, the Los Angeles area or maybe they just want to contact you, what's, uh, what's the best way for people to uh, to learn more about what you're doing? Um, I know you you provide services in Los Angeles. So Um, Is there a website or an email address that people can uh, get in touch with you at?
2: Absolutely. Um, They can visit us on our website which is www.innovativeslp.com or they can email me directly at odelia at innovativeslp.com or they can call us in the office at 310-659-9511.
1: Outstanding. Well, thank you again. It was great having you on the show today.
2: Thank you. It was a pleasure. Have a wonderful weekend.
1: Thanks. You too. Uh, so wrapping up here, you know, I, I think my final thoughts uh, as we kind of look at everything we talked about today, yeah, one of my big personal takeaways is, is, is something that Odalia said really early on um, in, in talking about a team and you know, I know I personally, when I started in this field, I didn't always get the true value of team and collaboration. Um, I got it from the idea of, like, let's work together, but I didn't always really recognize just how important it was to be able to make a referral and, and to have good people you can make referrals to. And I, and I think, you know, that's something that I feel like I've learned over time, and the show has really helped me get. Um, and O'Day did a great job of, I think, really describing the importance of having a team not just because we're working together for the benefit of kids, but when issues come up, we know who to go to. We know where else to turn to make sure that the care continues to be coordinated, collaborative, um, in which we're all supporting each other. So, I mean, for me, that's just a, a huge takeaway from today's show that uh, I think is really important, especially in the early stages or at big transition stages in a child's life. Um, As always, if you've got questions, more info at AutismTherapies.com or uh, connect with us on Facebook. Um, Hope you guys have a fabulous week, fabulous weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Take care.
0: We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of Autism Spectrum Radio. For additional information and resources about autism, visit www.autismtherapies.com. Please join us each week for a new episode. Or visit our archives to listen to and download previous shows.